Welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, health and fitness expert, Ted Rice, and this is the show that's all about taking your body, your health, and your life to that next level. And I've got a really amazing interview for you today. I have Dr. John Berardi back on the show. In case you're not familiar with John, he is a legend in the health and fitness industry. He's written for Men's Health, Men's Fitness, and Testosterone Nation. That's the website that so many of us started learning from back in the late 1990s. He's worked with athletes like George St. Pierre, the champion MMA fighter, and he's been to the special training camp that Nike puts on for professional athletes. He is one of the top guys around, but he's a super humble, awesome, and very modest guy if you take into account the level of success he's had. He's also a voice of reason in an industry that's often full of extremism and hype. And in case you haven't listened to our first episode, I highly recommend it. It's Episode 262, How Healthy Habits Can Transform Your Body More Than Any Diet. This time around, something kind of interesting happened. I asked John to come back on the show. If you listened to that last episode, you remember John talking about a, a nutrigenomics ebook that his team wrote over at precisionnutrition.com or you know him and his team. And I said, John, we got to get you back on. It's such a hot topic. And when we did this interview, I wanted to talk about genetics. And we ended up talking about it. But first, we got into a conversation that I feel is like the conversation that needs to be had in fitness and about how health and fitness doesn't fix other aspects of our life. In fact, if you have a mess of a life and you are using health and fitness, like you're going to the gym to try to get away from the job that you don't like or the home life that you don't like, it's not fixing the problem. And so we ended up in this really important conversation. In fact, it it turned out to be such a long conversation and we ended up talking about the genetics later that I've broken this episode into two parts. So this first part is that deeper conversation, the conversation that none of us are having in fitness, but it's the conversation that we all must have, the conversation that we all need to have. So I'm titling this first part of the interview, How Health and Fitness Won't Fix Your Broken Life. And I know that's a strong statement, but so many of us, like I was when I first got into health and fitness, I I was looking to heal myself. I was looking to gain a sense of confidence and to get over some of the bad events that happened in my life. But we need to work on more. It can't just be about going into the gym, what supplements to take, whether you're doing low carb, high fat, or low fat, high carb, and It's got to be more than that if you want to truly live a legendary life. I also want to say that sharing is caring. And if this podcast resonated with you, please share it on your social, share it on your Facebook or wherever you like to hang out online. I greatly appreciate it. And if this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. That way you'll never miss an episode. You can go right onto your phone in the podcast app. You can subscribe to it on your desktop. 
I'm a little bit of an Apple or I'm locked into the Apple ecosystem here. So we are also on Google Play in the Android platform. Just search for Legendary Life, hit that subscribe button, and you'll always be notified when the next episode goes live. Okay, enough talking. Let's step into this powerful, life-changing interview with Dr. John Berardi. John Berardi, thanks for coming back on the show, man. Ted, thanks for having me back. I had such a good time last time we chatted, and I hope people who listened really got a lot out of it, and you know, I hope we can go even deeper today. Absolutely. I can't wait. I know you just came out with that genetics ebook, which is 390 pages long, and I I've, uh, it's extensive, but you know what? It, it, it's an incredible resource. I want to talk about that. And the theme for today is longevity, right? Because that's what we're really getting our genes tested. We want to kick ass now, but we want that to be indefinite. Even people who don't realize it until they hit an injury or some obstacle with their health, they want to hit a peak and maintain that for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm um, in my mid-40s now. And I don't quite look at the longevity puzzle or question the same way I did when I was 30 or 20, obviously. And, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are older, mentors of mine, who their perspectives are different on longevity. So I, I look forward to digging in, you know, not only just, you know, what you can eat to live longer or healthier into your old age, but e- even maybe how to orient your your mind around those things. Yeah, I would love to get into that because uh, as we were talking about before we hopped on, there's just some things that human beings just seem not to be so good at. And uh, I told you I was doing all these things at once. And then you started talking about your experience and how it's it's just something that human beings are always trying to do too much at once. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's just, uh, you know, that that's one, right? Humans are consistently overestimating their capacity in the short term. And I might even imagine that they like underestimate their capacity in the long term. Yeah. Right. So it's this, it's this weird bias where we think we can do way more than we can today and this week. And therefore we, you know, take on way too much, make too many promises and then get stressed out and that negatively affects our health. And then, and, and the outcome of the work we're doing too and then we underestimate how much is possible if we do just a little bit every single day for the next decade or four. And so it's this weird human bias. And like we were saying earlier, you know, I've just noticed there's there's a bunch of human traits that we are just never going to fix about ourselves. We're never going to be like, oh, yeah, that thing where I constantly take on too much. Yeah, I read a book or whatever. <laughs> And I fix that forever. So I never have to think about that again. I'll move on to the next little foible of mine. But there's just certain things that are just, they're stuck with you for life. And you have to practice every day being better. And you wake up and you're bad at it. And then by the end of the day, you've practiced. And you maybe are a little bit better than you were when you started. And the next day you wake up and surprisingly or not, you suck again at it. And you have to practice again. I can't tell you how many times there's been these things where I'm like, hey, I learned this thing. It's like changed me. This one problem of mine, which is a fundamental thing related to human nature, is fixed. I'll never have to think about this again. It'll always be good and fixed. And then you've screwed up again. (laughs) 
you know, the very next day. So I, I just, I find this fascinating about, fascinating about ourselves as humans, that there's just certain things that we just have to practice and we just have to let that wash over us and it be a reality. Like, oh, this is a thing that I'm going to have to practice every single day. I'll never be great at it. And the, and this is the liberating part and that's okay. It's right. it's just okay. Yeah. And, and you're bringing up such a great point having that self-awareness and understanding that's a pattern that we fall into makes it also is liberating because if we're not paying attention and we keep running into those same situations, those same obstacles over and over, and we never understand like, oh, this is kind of what I do all the time. In fact, that's what I, everyone I talk to, that's what they do all the time. And we're all kind of making the same mistakes over and over, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious, John, you said there are some other ones besides putting too much on our plate. What, what are some other ones that you think relate to what we're going to talk about today? Health, fitness, longevity? Well, you know, one part that I think is extremely crucial, and I was just posting this on Facebook today for our health and longevity is, you know, something that's become a little bit of a buzzword. So some people might recoil by the cliche of it all, but I ask you to just bear with me for a second till I explain it. It's the idea of, you know, maybe we'll call it like self-compassion or whatever. You know, we know that, um, you know, if there's a whole bunch of components, a list of components that lead to, you know, long-term health and, and fitness and wellness, you know, we know nutrition is part of it, obviously. We know exercise is part of it, obviously. But we pay far less attention to things like, you know, a strong, supportive social network, things like self-care and self-compassion just generally. And, you know, so one for me, for example, and this is just a a little personal vulnerability here for me, is whenever something, this is something I noticed about myself since I was a kid, whenever something goes wrong or negative or something happens that I wasn't expecting or bad, we'll say something happens bad that I don't like, my first instinct is to look around for who's near me and find (laughs) a way to blame them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for much of my life, I was unaware that this was what I was doing and that it was a problem. It was just a reaction, right? Like bad thing happened. Whose fault is it? Not mine. Yours. You know, if you wouldn't have been blah, 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 then this wouldn't have happened to me. Right. And then when I realized I got a little bit older, started doing some self-reflection, introspection, I realized, oh, wait a second. I do this every time and it's maybe not always other people's faults you know what i mean and blaming them probably doesn't get me where i want in life even if it is their fault and then for a while i really was hard on myself about this i'm like i have to fix this about myself i have to stop inherently blaming people as my first response to negative thing in my life and and that was tough that put a lot of stress on myself and there was like a lack of self-compassion you know and if i would do it i'd be like jb you're just a big dumbass you know why don't you fix this And speaking to the point earlier, I just realized that this is something that I'm going to probably have my entire life. The first three seconds after something goes bad or wrong, this is exactly what's going to happen every time. But the beautiful thing is, and the freeing thing is, now I get it. This is just built in and hardwired in my nature, and that's okay. And now I have strategies to deal with it. I don't verbalize that. I recognize that, oh, this is going to happen. And after three to five seconds, I'll stop it, right? It's just going to wash over me like a wave, like the tide comes in, oh, the blaming people tide came in, and now it's going to roll back out. And when it rolls back out, 
and I haven't said anything to blame someone or accuse someone or whatever, now I can let the tide be out. And then I can go on with the productive response to that particular situation. So this is just mine personally. Some other people out there may judge me for it or may, they may not have this particular thing in their lives. But I'm sure every listener is going to have one thing that just is them. And they, it's not productive. They may not like it. And uh, I think you have to go through a process of recognizing, oh, this is me. It doesn't make me a horrible human being. And there are ways to just accept it, deal with it, and have strategies for being a better human being while at the same time we have human flaws, you know? Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a, a show I saw. I didn't watch too many episodes of it, but it was called Enlightened. And it's about this woman who ends up in a messed up situation with relationships professionally. And then she goes and does these retreats and tries to fix herself. Then she comes back to the same situations and she was good when she was out of a, the environment, but when mm -hmm. she got back to the environment that she was trying to fix herself in, it's the same things came up. And, yeah. and what you said resonated with me because, yeah, you can't control those things necessarily if that is just kind of in your DNA, which monozygotic twin studies have suggested that 50% of our personality is in our genes. And uh, we got, we just have to learn how to roll with the punches and how to control ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and I mean, for me, super useful is just like years of various types of therapy, you know, where, you know, I would seek out a counselor and, and go through my stuff and figure out strategies for, you know, and, and I know, uh, depending on when you were born, how old you are, or how you were raised, your orientation to counseling might be different. You know, how I sort of came to understand counseling was, you know, I would go seek out counseling and I have my entire adult life uh, in advance of problems, you know. So when my wife and I decided we were going to get married, I went and got a marriage counselor even before we were married, just because I knew these, these individuals worked with married people all the time and they could help me prevent problems rather than just deal with them when we got to them. And when we decided to have kids, we got family counselor because, hey, I figured I want to be prepared for what this is going to be like before it actually starts happening. And so through these kinds of counseling experiences, I just realized, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of things I can learn about myself and I can um, deal with, you know, in productive ways. And as part of that process, I just learned, oh, hey, here's all these little, I call them these little, little cute, funny, flawed human things that I do and, and we do. As, as, a, as a species. And I call them cute because uh, that's a favorable way of looking at it. You know, you could also call them other things. But it's just how weird and interesting and cute how we sometimes act completely in our best, outside of our best interests. You yeah. know, great, great example is talking with someone recently where family member of theirs kept, um, Every time they would talk to this family member, the family member would load guilt on them because this person's really busy at work lately. And so the family member's like, oh, yeah, great that you gave me two seconds of your busy day to see me, you know? And it's just this, this cute human response, right? Like you actually want to have a this person who's being negative wants to have a relationship with my friend mm. desperately, right? They're like, I want to connect with you. I want time with you. I want to have a great relationship with you. And what do they do? How does that manifest? As 
the exact opposite, being a horrible partner in the relationship when there are actually minutes to spend together. Yeah. Half of it spent just guilting them. It's just not in your best interest at all, but it's just the cute, funny, foibly human response. And, you know, through counseling and stuff, I've just learned, oh, hey, uh, to be mentally healthy is not to make those things go away and fix them. It's to just understand they're bound to happen and have strategies for dealing with them, you know, either preventing that before it starts or dealing with it once it's started so you don't make a problem out of it. Yeah. And uh, it brings up the idea that everybody needs a coach and or everybody can benefit. And, and, and if you want to perform at a high level, whether that's in your relationship or in a sport or at your job, everybody needs a coach to take them to that level. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and obviously that's what we do at Precision Nutrition. You know, we coach professionals and we coach clients and, you know, that obviously I believe very strongly in it. And you've seen this, Ted, because you've been a follower of our stuff for a while now. You know, I, I even say it's to the point of if you work in a coaching profession and you don't get coaching yourself, it feels like weirdly hypocritical, right? Absolutely. Like you're yep. saying it's really... <laughs> Is I find it really important for people to pay me for coaching. Okay, cool. Well, who's your coach? Well, I don't think coaching's that important that I need one. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's weird, right? It's a mismatch. And I got to say, I hired one-on-one coach for jujitsu and I started getting into that. I hired a coach when I went back to school and I needed to catch up on chemistry and math. I've hired a coach to teach me how to play bass when I was playing music. So I've been all in in this idea because it's helped me overcome things that I just ran up. Well, I'll give you an example. I got a guitar and I played like the same silly chords and silly songs over and over and over. And I just <laughs> didn't have the ability. I didn't have that innate ability to like listen to songs and then just start, oh, I, I, here's what that is. Uh, and here's the yeah. chord, here's the scale. And so I just kept playing the same stuff until I started getting lessons when I was 19. And then I saw my yeah. performance skyrocket because I didn't know, I thought I knew some things, but I, I wasn't able to play the things that I wanted to. And just, yeah, and ever since then, I've always looked wherever I'm running up against an obstacle and I can't figure out a way to get around it on my own, look to hiring someone to help you do it. So important. Yeah, it's it's amazing, right? I mean, I, it's a, it sounds like you've had plenty of moments like these, but the guitar one is, I have dozens of these in my life where like, you, you actually think you're doing pretty good at something and then you get with someone who really knows and you just look at them and you're like, you're like a magician. You know what I mean? Like, how, how are you able to do these things, whether it's in business or whether it's with food? You know, I had this experience on Facebook the other day where there was... Um, well-regarded uh, guy in, in internet marketing who was posting about some health and fitness uh, challenges he was having and uh, a friend tagged me on it and you know this it, the guy had a big facebook following so like five thousand opinions on what he ought to be doing sure. next from yeah. you know marginally or completely unqualified people and um and i was like oh i know exactly what to do here exactly i tell you the next three things um, I didn't have time to help, but I put in touch with one of our team members. And after a week, the guy was like blown away. And for us, this was like, 
pretty pedestrian stuff, right? Yeah. We're just like, oh yeah, this is super easy. It's what's happening is this, this, and this, and you fix it with this, this, and this. And the guy's like, oh my God, I don't know how I could have ever figured this out on my own. And it was just such like um such a dawning realization, right? Like the curse of the expert is that you forget the gap between you and everyone else in the area that you know a lot about, right? So sometimes you have these reminder moments where you're like, oh, wow, this is magic to other people because they don't have any of the training or experience that I have. That's great. I mean, it's also a, a big responsibility that you shouldn't take lightly, but it's it works on both ends, you know, from the coach perspective and the client perspective. It's just such a useful thing to, to figure out how to work together. You know, that is such an important point because the way I got into being coached and being okay with it is because I kind of sucked at everything, John. I was never mm -hmm. like just, oh wow, you're you're just amazing at this one thing. And you're 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 gonna be great at this. It's gonna be your career, you're gonna be well known for it. So that was my path, but I I deal with a lot of high performance people, and I know a lot of people listening to this show, they're they've got degrees from Ivy Leagues, they have executive positions in companies. And so they're the type of people who probably did excel in one area. And then they're like, I'm such a badass at this thing, but like this health and fitness, I, I just can't bring myself to do it. I, I don't know what I should do next. I'm not getting results. And then you're bringing up such a good point. You've got to understand that you may lose some perspective if you're one of those high performance people. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. I love that, Ted. And I, I don't know about you, but you know, I've had some success in my life and this is one of my personal challenges too, where in certain rooms, everyone looks to me to be the expert or the leader, right? Yeah. But outside of those rooms, I'm not any more believable than anyone else on topics that, that I don't have experience or training and expertise in. Although it's really natural to just assume, well, I'm a really smart, accomplished guy, so I can figure this out. Just like I figure out the things in my work, for example, right? And that's like the, that's the kiss of death, right? And you see it. Some people don't get help on in this domain. And so when they're with their children or their partner or their friends, they're still acting like they're the CEO of their life. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Or when it's time to learn to play the guitar, they're like, nah, whatever. I'm a smart guy. I'll figure this out. Or when they're in a relationship situation. And it, that doesn't work pretty, that well, the CEO in the <laughs> no. relationship. No. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. not at all, right? Yeah. But it's it's like having some empathy and, and compassion, you know, you realize, well, it, it's got to be hard to turn that off, right? If you spend eight, 10 hours a day being that, then you go home or you go into totally different situation. You actually have to be almost like a different person. You have to actually like actively and aggressively practice humility when you haven't practiced it all day. Yeah. And much of your life, it's the opposite, right? So it's, uh, it's something that I have a lot of empathy for, which a lot of people don't, right? Because the majority of people by necessity and by average aren't in leadership positions. So they typically won't have a compassion and empathy for leaders. So I, I try and have some and, 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 and I'm one, right? So I'm like, hey, I wish people would have compassion and empathy for me because my challenges may be different, but they're no less human, you know? Yeah. And I think what you're doing there at Precision Nutrition, I, I look at your business model and how you structure things. And I even 
had a little back and forth with uh, Krista Scott Dixon. She finally accepted my friend ad on Facebook and we went back and forth <laughs> nice. and she's, she, she, I forget what it was, but she's, what's her title there, John? So she, she's kind of a uh, director of curriculum and education here. No. Okay. That, uh, that's what she does. She had a thing like director of like helping oh, like headspace yeah, adjustment or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was yes, like, yeah. that was cool. And she's like, yeah, we don't really have like, you know, structured hierarchies here. And, uh, you know, I just thought that was cool. And, and it's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, that's see, it's funny because, you know, whenever we talk about what we do outside of PN, we sometimes have to translate it into what people think of as a more conventional organizational structure we practice this other thing called holacracy where it's like a distributed authority system. And so there's not really a CEO, although there is a person who's like a, a leader in charge of various work groups. And so, you know, we may call Tim Jones, who's, who's one of the leaders of the organization, our CEO when we're outside the organization, but inside it, he's not that. So sometimes people like Krista come up with their own interesting and accurate <laughs> descriptions of their role like director of headspace adjustment, because it's kind of what we do with our curriculum and coaching, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, really inspiring to see because I'm, I'm all in with that idea that the, that part of the, uh, I want to jump into to the genetics thing, but just this last point in that our world, our modern world is amazing as it is and how it's taken us from, uh, I guess the jungles to, you know, the Neolithic farmers in the Stone Age and onward to the, the Industrial Revolution and to the Digital Revolution that we're in now, we're still kind of being, um, you know, we're still having these things that work against us. And uh, mm -hmm. job, like kids waking up too early, not getting enough sleep, and then trying to learn a bunch of skills that aren't really going to help them <laughs> succeed in this <laughs> new world or the, the parents that are working long hours and not sleeping well because their boss is putting this extra pressure and sending them emails while they're already at home and you know, while they've already put in their 40 hours. And it, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's cool to hear about the people who are pioneering the new way of business. And I'm sure the stress levels and the level of health at PN, aside from just you guys being you know, a health company, I'm sure mm -hmm. it's pretty good to work there for, for your well-being as, as it is, uh, you know, so yeah, very yeah. cool, man. Yeah. And we try and accomplish that, you know, and, and, um, you know, it, I, I think you're right. I had a, I had a really interesting conversation recently with a very successful investor and we were just talking about how, you know, uh, some companies are trying and fumbling around with, you know, remote work. And it's going to be a long time before big companies can actually accomplish it. But, you know, I don't know, the the cat's out of the bag or whatever analogy you want to use. Yeah. Like, this isn't going to go backwards, right? No way. Um, <laughs> there, there's, there's a future where if what humans are destined to be doing is predominantly knowledge work, you know, when the robots take over, um, then knowledge work happens differently. And knowledge workers are going to expect different conditions. And, you know, PN has been founded from the beginning as a, a remote company. So 
you know, we have nearly 100 team members distributed around the world, no centralized head office. We work virtually and remotely. And, and to people who haven't, they can think of all sorts of problems with that. Right. And, you know, we've, we've found a way to deal with them all because just like everything else, you have blind spots, right? And for us, we've solved them through very specific and strategic ways. And we get together periodically, but most of the time it's virtual and it, it works great. And, and what it does allow for is what you're talking about here, a different type or, or maybe you could even call it like a self-directed work-life balance. You know, like some people could choose working remotely in this way to work a ton. And but that's a choice, not a requirement. And um, other people can choose a, a different sort of balance. And when you work remotely, you judge people not in the hours they put in, but by the output of the work that they're doing. Right. Because that's really all you have visibility into. And it actually keeps the executive team and, and teammates more honest, I think. Right. You're like. Instead of uh, politicking around presence and availability and stuff like that, now we're just measuring the output of the work, which yeah. is really what an organization's there to do, right? So it's it's pretty cool. It's not without its challenges, but it, it's pretty cool. And we've been talking to a lot of people recently about um, how they could maybe make it work in their organizations. Do you have a, an interview that I could link to? Uh, for anyone interested in hearing more about how you do things business-wise? We actually um, have done a couple articles on our website. If you uh, pop over to precisionnutrition.com and type in um, remote work, we've done a few articles on it. And uh, even Holacracy, which is our operating system, it's sort of our organizational structure. So you know, remote work and Holacracy, and you can read about you know both our org structure and the way that we do remote work at PN. Yeah, I will have those linked to the show notes for this episode because I think it's something everybody should start to get into. And and John, some people may not like, why aren't they talking about lifting weights or what to eat <laughs> or the superfood, the new superfood from the Amazon? And we can exercise as much as we want. We can eat kale till we're, you know, till we poop green, but if we don't manage our lifestyles, we're not going to get rid of the stress. We're not going to get rid of that part. And, you know, there's so many negative effects of stress and not getting enough sleep. And that yeah. there's nothing I mean, you can do to get around that. Yeah. No, I mean, there's two factors there. One is, you know, health is a product of nutrition, fitness, and how you live every minute of the rest of your life. So, I would even say that nutrition and fitness may actually be slightly less important, not unimportant, but slightly less important than how you orient to your work, to your stress management, to your sleep, or at least they're contingent upon each other, right? So there's the direct you know, effect of this, but, but there's a secondary effect almost no one thinks about, which is when you don't have, I don't know, maybe an appropriately balanced outlook on work, your ability to actually go work out when you're supposed to gets compromised. Right. You know what I mean? So it's not just like managing your stress is important to health outcomes. It's like, hey, if you're not working correctly or appropriately or having the right outlook on work, you, you just won't go to the gym. You won't eat the healthy foods because they'll be pinched out by the other things that are competing for time. So it's a very pragmatic concern, right? 
if you don't think about self-care, if you don't think about some kind of balance in your work structure or some time carved out specifically for health behaviors, like you schedule it in your calendar, just like you would everything else, important meeting or whatever, then it just doesn't even get done. So that's how work influences your health or your lifestyle influences your health, independent of the direct effects. And, you know, I, there was a great post on our, our pro coach Facebook group recently. I don't know if you read it, Ted, that Craig Weller put up. And there's always, you know, coaches who are a little bit sad or, or uh, frustrated when clients don't seem to be able to stick with sure. eating healthy or their workout routine or whatever. And then the, the logical next question is, well, what can I do to help a client? Or if I'm a client, what can I do to stick with my exercise program? And Craig's advice was like super counterintuitive but totally research-based, is to help people be more consistent with their exercise and their eating, you have to help them not be so stressed out all the time. Right. And it's like people want to go to motivation. They want to go to scheduling. They want to go to all these other things. But the truth is when we are constantly in a state of fight or flight or a high stress state, it becomes difficult to do any of what we just talked about, schedule appropriately, uh, balance your time appropriately, uh, even feel motivation. All those things are zapped when you can't figure out how to not be so stressed out all the time. So that's like the fundamental first step, not be so stressed out all the time. Then things come into place after that. So it was like a interesting, non-intuitive, but super important connection between uh, lifestyle, stress, and even your ability to exercise and and eat well. You know what? Let's let's go down this road a, a bit because <laughs> while genetic testing is super sexy and like whoa, I feel like sometimes those are a distraction to what we really need to work on and what you're talking about here. I mean, acute stress. I mean, I can think of a few things. Like one of the biggest issues with people is they eat too much if they're overweight, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we know. It's the amount of food, even if you're eating super clean, blessed by Tibetan Buddhist monks, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're eating too much of it and you're not moving enough. And, you know, we know that acute stress actually gets rid of your hunger. And if you're mm-hmm. in the gym, you shouldn't be hungry. It should really suppress that hunger response. But chronic stress, which most of us are under because we didn't sleep enough last night. Oh, I'm running late to work. I had to have a couple of cups of coffee which uh, raises cortisol and adrenaline and, you know, and I've got some pressure with some projects I've got done. And then I need to take the kids to soccer afterward. And, you know, and then I need a drink or three at night because I drink too much coffee and I'm tired, but I'm also wired and I need something to help me go to sleep. In fact, I, I came from a client this morning, John, he got back from a he's a commercial real estate developer got back from a meeting at 11:30 and he was wired and so he took uh, an Ativan and he performed like crap today because he was just still hung over from from that pill and he's I, I I'm very empathetic with him and I don't try to push him in a direction that you know he doesn't want to go cuz he just wants to he's at that place where he just oh no I I just want to work out and I'll try to eat good. We don't even talk about nutrition with this guy. I, mm-hmm. I throw in some things about sleep to maybe start to plant the seed that maybe the fact that his shoulder isn't healing the way it should has something to do with the sleep 
or the way that he's constantly needing to drug himself up with coffee in the morning and depress himself or, or inhibit that, you know, lower his energy level so he can sleep at night has to do with other things other than just the working out. Mm-hmm. So what do you say? I mean, I've talked about that a lot on the show, but I'm curious, like, how do you help someone? What would you to say someone who's listening right now who is at that yep. point and, okay, I need to be less stressed. How the hell do I do okay. that? Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. That's a great question. And so I want to set it up a little bit. I'm going to answer the question directly. But first, I want to level set on, you know, what, what, do, what do we really know? You know, there's lots of debates about this food or that food or carbs and fats and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I'm part of an initiative of, you know, 400 scientists and educators around the world who have decided to get together and say, you know, everyone talks about how nutrition and exercise and fitness is so confusing. Every headline is like, oh, so confusing, you know, whatever. Uh, And people are always complaining about that. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at the robust data set of all the science that's been done to date, and even uh, things like the work on blue zones, you know, uh, where there's these pockets of the world where people are the longest lived, it's actually not that confusing, really, if you want to live a healthy, robust life. You know, there's basically six things. So listeners can write them down, whatever the case may be. And then I'll talk about how to how to get through them. You know, the first is eat largely unprocessed plants and animal foods, probably more plants than animals. But nutrition can be that straightforward. Eat largely unprocessed animal or plant foods and animal foods. You know, two is exercise regularly, you know, maybe even daily. That doesn't mean go to the gym daily, just means move and with a mix of low intensity, moderate and high intensity activity, right? Sure. Next is minimize what this group calls toxins, but I leave the word out of it because that's all emotionally charged nowadays, but there's, <laughs> it's just minimize tobacco and don't drink too much alcohol. Uh, the fourth is get the right quality and quantity of sleep. The fifth is find strategies for not eliminating stress because that that's silly. We all need cut stress that that can provide fuel for high performance, but to moderate our stress. So have ways to, like you say, make the stress not chronic and ongoing, never mitigated. And then the last one is develop and foster social support and meaningful relationships. So we know for sure no matter what the next article you read is or, you know, YouTube video or whatever, we know for sure these six things are the things that reliably lead to a healthier, longer, more robust, happier life. These six, six things. Uh, the details don't matter so much as that you have strategies for doing them regularly. So now to get to your question, okay? So how does someone deal with some of these things? You know, what, what do you do? Well, you know, at at PN, we've long taught this model of practice leads to skills and skills lead to goals, right? So rather than being like, oh, well, I need to de-stress. So starting tomorrow, I'm going to clench my hands and stress less, you know, (laughs) I'm going to muscle my way to less stress, right? Oh, that's what gets us in the problem in the first place. So what we do is we say, well, what skills would a person need to manage or mitigate stress? on a regular basis, not just the one time they thought about it, 
or one time when it was overwhelming, but on a regular basis, like a practice they could do. And then what practices would help build those skills. So that's, that's how we think about it. So, you know, for a lot of people, if I were their coach, we would look at these six areas, you know, food, movement, alcohol, tobacco, sleep, stress, and relationships. And we would say, which of these is the most important to tackle right now? Because we know the busy types of people you're talking about or asking the question on behalf of sure. don't have time to deal with all six of them. It's like that story you told earlier with that TV show. Maybe if they went to a retreat, they could do it. But then when they get back into the context of their normal life, there's no way. They might not even have enough bandwidth to handle one really effectively, let alone all six. So we do what we would consider like an emergency room triage, right? What is the part of the body that's most badly injured right now. Let's deal with that. Now, as Craig said, as I talked about earlier, for a lot of people dealing with stress may be their limiting factor for all the rest. Right. They may use alcohol and tobacco as their mitigating strategy, right? So if you don't deal with the stress, the number three shot already because they're using the things that we're supposed to have less of to deal with the other thing, you know? And then eating and moving and all that becomes difficult as well. And then if you're too stressed, you can't sleep. And you can see, so for a lot of people, that may be the first place we start. Although perhaps that may be the area that they're most resistant to change. So Because they're like, hey, you're going to tell me to work less and what? I, forget that. So whenever someone has that response, even though I might not tell them to work less, I, we have strategies that we, we use at, at PN for practicing de-stressing things, you know? And I mean, I, I even wrote an article that a lot of people found humorous. I wrote it years ago before marijuana was legalized in a bunch of states. I know you're thinking, where is this going? But I promise there's a good point to it. But, you know, I've worked with professional athletes almost my entire career. And I remember early in my career, I would see a subset of particularly strength and power athletes in certain sports who would just smoke a lot of pot. And everyone would tell them it was really bad for them. And that was my impression early on too. Oh man, if I could get these guys to just drink less alcohol and smoke less pot, um, they would be even better than they are now, which is sometimes comical because sometimes these are like world champion athletes and multiple gold medalists. Right. I don't know. There's, there's no like Olympics greater than the Olympics that they just won. You know what I mean? They don't need to be better for those. But that's how, how people look at it. They're like, oh yeah, these guys smoke pot pot equals bad, they need to stop. And I started really looking into the physiology of it. And I realized that what a lot of these guys were doing was what we call parasympathetic activation. So when you're a strength and power athlete, most of your day is oriented around engaging your sympathetic nervous system. That's the nervous system that produces high power, high output, high intensity activities, right? So for them, Marijuana was a way to self-medicate and engage the opposite system, the rest and digest system, the parasympathetic system. Now, I'm not recommending that to everyone listening here. I'm just saying that there are there's a whole suite of options for activating your parasympathetic nervous system. One would be meditation. One would be yoga. One would be, um, if you don't like the idea of meditation, uh, and I do this currently, I'll just take in my office, I'll take 10 minutes in the middle of the day if I feel like my mind is sort of sagging and I'll just move my desk chair and I'll lay right where I normally sit on the ground 
set my, uh, my Apple watch for 10 minutes and I'll just lay there and breathe for 10 minutes. Sometimes I nod off, sometimes I don't, but that's a way to engage your, your parasympathetic nervous system. You know, some people like to have a hot bath with candles. Some people actually do a cold shower. There's all kinds of modalities to deal with stress. You don't have to go right to work less. There's also these other things. And then again, I wrote this article about how marijuana was just one of a series of options. And I didn't imagine some of my NFL football players um, who uh, come from rough backgrounds being like, I'm going to light some candles and have a bath to activate my parasympathetic <laughs> nervous system so, and do yoga and meditation. Uh, for them, marijuana was the only treatment that made sense to this particular mindset they, that they had. They didn't even know they were treating a thing. Sure. But, you know, all this to get back to what small practices can you engage to engage your parasympathetic nervous system to dampen down your sympathetic nervous system? In other words, manage stress. You know, now, eventually, when that starts becoming managed and you can think clearly on a daily basis, then you can start to look to your schedule and your lifestyle. You know, am I prioritizing things? Um, or am I just responding to things? You know, does my email inbox govern how I'm going to spend my day? Or does a plan that I set out the night before with the two or three most important things I'm going to tackle tomorrow and everything else doesn't get tackled because it's not a big lever opportunity for me? How do I orient to those things? And then maybe how do I start creating my job, my home life to Focus on the big rocks, the big important things that, that, I, that matter to me and the people around me, and then let everything else just slide. And, and I know this is a lifelong practice for some people to do, especially if they orient as like a type A personality, but it's possible. It's completely possible when you realize this isn't trying to relax you, chill you out. This is trying to give you more minutes to do the important things in your life. And a dawning realization that what's not important is not important and ought not to be done. So you can see I'm basically walking people down a path towards figuring out which of the six major players in your health and fitness you should focus on. And if it's one of them, stress, we used as our example, how to do small things to mitigate the stress now, little, little fixes like medication, if you will, my 10 minute, like lay down nap is like my medicine for stress that day. And then when you can calm down, you start looking at some of the other things. Oh, wow. I'm naturally sleeping better. Oh, I'm using less alcohol and tobacco or marijuana or whatever to manage stress. Oh, now that doesn't influence my eating in a negative way. And you can see all these knock on downstream effects that make it easier to treat the other health behaviors appropriately without even focusing on them, just because you're less stressed. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I was, I was definitely partaking of the, the weed when I was in my <laughs> 20s. And I, did, I, re, I don't anymore because now it makes me kind of paranoid. The THC is just through the roof. And I've also, I mean, now I do meditation. I go see an acupuncturist and, and I take regular naps. And so I have these other things that actually work better than smoking some smoking a joint. But right. so many people self-medicate and I didn't realize, oh, it's not like people have a problem or 
whatever, or, or they do have a problem, but what they're doing is they're using this substance to change their neurochemistry to make them feel better to deal with whatever it is, whether it's, I don't have enough energy in the morning, got to have my two to five cups of coffee to get going, or I can't turn off at night unless I have a couple of drinks or, or, uh, you know, smoke some pot. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Or or even like to your point and, and the fact that you're really highlighting the interconnectedness is awesome because that's, that's my point with all this, right? Like another one is where I drink too much alcohol because the quality of some of the relationships in my life are poor. Right. And this is my way of either feeling more loose or social or relaxed, trying to forge new relationships or just doling the pain of a lack of meaningful relationships in my life. Right. So all these things are connected. I think too often because we're living our busy, possibly anxiety riddled uh, or just fast flowing life, Uh, We don't see the connections, but as you pointed out, you're like, yeah, I used to smoke a lot when I was younger. And then you're like, oh, I smoke less now. I think it might be because of this, but it could be because I'm doing all these other positive behaviors that eliminate the need to smoke at all, you know? And so it's like, see how they're connected, right? And that's not an accident. And, you know, we do a lot of self-discovery work. And again, I you know, we work with a lot of professional athletes and whenever I use some of this language, I try and temper it very quickly with, <laughs> right. you know, this is, no, don't worry. This is hardcore manly stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's this got to um, do with killing people on the field? You know, <laughs> that's right. You know, or just like, uh, raising people's awareness about who they are work so that they can look at these connections. Oh, wait, I'm doing that weird thing over here because of this thing over here. You know, like one classic one that few people realize is that, you know, if you don't meet your sleep need and you go into a sleep deficit, your cravings for carbohydrates go through the roof. Yeah. And people might be like, man, I really ate a lot of sugar this week and I wasn't sleeping very well. So I'm not doing very good on my health behaviors, but they may not realize that the sugar is actually a direct consequence of the sleep deprivation. Like, you don't get one without the other. And so it's just all connected, you know? And, and so, you know, this is what you do as a coach. This is what all excellent coaches do. You figure out what's the root cause of all these downstream symptoms, if you will, and you start working on them. And, and, and also the work of a coach is to help clients deal with the inherent impatience that they'll feel for this kind of a process. Right. So if you're listening and you're not a coach, you know, just imagine a scenario where you come to me to exercise, get your sweat on, get your food sorted. And I start asking you all kinds of questions about your personal relationship. Right. And I give you practices around, you know, sleep and stress management. You're like, what? I thought we were just going to do CrossFit here and sweat, (laughs) you know? And it's like, well, we could do that, but it's not going to work. Yeah, And if you leave me to go for the coach who will give you that, that's a mistake. It's a mistake because you're going to deal with a downstream symptom and never handle the cause that's going to help give you the life you want, the longevity that you want, and the real long-term sustainable health that you want. Yeah. John, man, you brought up something so profound. And so it's like the, the thing that 
it's the elephant in the room, the thing that nobody's really talking about when it comes to health and fitness, and that a lot of times we're doing it because it's our refuge from uh, maybe maybe someone doesn't smoke weed or drink or s- smoke cigarettes or drink a lot of coffee, or maybe they don't even have that stressful of a job, but they're not happy in either the relationships that they're in or their ability to communicate, to empathize, to to have the skills that would give them a good relationship. I find that just, it keeps coming up over and over again. I dealt mm-hmm. with it personally. And then I started taking public speaking courses. I started taking improv acting courses where they make you empathize with people. And <laughs> right. it's just incredible. I, and I try to talk about that, but what would you say to someone who, is perhaps listening right now and saying, oh, you know what? Yeah, my relationships are screwed up. And wow, I really need to, that's really why I go work out so obsessively or I overeat so obsessively. What would you say to that person about how to start thinking about what they need to do to address that root cause that you you brought up? Well, I think the first thing is just to sit in the reality of that that particular realization. And I'll give you an example, right? Uh, years ago when, when uh, my wife and I were first married and we were living in our first home together, when like I didn't realize this, I'm, I'm only giving you the pattern in retrospect, right? Like now it's like, oh, it's so obvious, duh, right? But at the time I didn't realize it. So whenever we were having a conflict, right? Whether it was an argument or one of those silent arguments, you know, that <laughs> yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, sure. My... Like we all need a way to self-soothe after conflict, right? Because uh, we get this dump of adrenaline, noradrenaline, or epinephrine, norepinephrine. We feel fight or flighty, right? Yeah. It's not socially acceptable to go kill something or someone, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so there's nothing to do with that energy, right? And so we all need a way to self-soothe, right? And so I realized the method that I was using to self-soothe would be work, right? I've worked from home almost my entire career. And I remember it like, right, like our, we had this long sort of galley style kitchen and at the very end of the kitchen was this double door set and my office. And I just remember like whenever we would argue in the living room or the kitchen or whatever, I would do my like, oh, fine, whatever thing. <laughs> and then I would end up unconsciously just in my office not even remembering how I got there or not even having made the choice to go there in the first place, right? Yeah. It was just like my brain took over and it was like, oh, you, you feel this way? Here's what we do when we feel this way. We go in our office, right? And then of course, to my partner, that is the worst thing I could have done, right? I bailed on our relationship conversation to go be a workaholic, right? Yeah. So to her, it was like work's more important And then again, over time, I realized, oh, okay, that's actually not what's happening here. I'm not saying work's more important. I'm actually saying I feel so anxious or angry or whatever because of our conflict. The only way for me to soothe myself, calm myself down and get okay again was to go sit at my computer and write an article or do some work or whatever the case may be. And uh, I learned that that was true for me. That's all, that's all I said. This is true for me. This is what I do. No judgment at all. Okay, now how can I make that better? Or is there a more productive thing to do with that negative energy, right? So, 
and and again, this uh, I'm not like Mr. Genius know myself. You know what I mean? Sure. This is the counseling and talking to smart people who know and have a lot of experience here. Uh, made me realize, oh, there's a couple other ways to deal with that. And the other thing is, you know, how can you actually have a disagreement with your partner without getting so uh, adrenalinized? Yeah. That you need to even soothe in the first place, right? Like, how can you prevent that feeling that you need alcohol or tobacco or a drug or a hard ass workout or your computer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. To, to fix, to soothe yourself. So, Again, you know, for people who might be saying, yeah, I work out all the time or I overeat or I use, you know, drugs to uh, soothe uh, relationship uh, challenges in my life. The first is, okay, notice exactly what you're doing, right? Oh, because it's rarely where you're just sitting there having a great day reading a book and you're like, oh, I feel so sad because I don't have meaningful relationships. I'm going to drink now, right? It's rarely that. Sure. There's actually a trigger that precipitates feeling lonely or uh, it, like in my case, it was uh, an argument with my partner, right? And we call it break the chain at PN, right? We, we talk about it often in context of overeating and we talk about how rarely does someone have a binge or an overeating episode just randomly, right? right. There's a chain of events that led to it. And we actually have a, a worksheet that people will, will fill out where they can actually get to the root cause because sometimes the root cause wasn't three seconds ago, this happened, and then I went and got food. The root cause might have started 24 hours ago. And we help them unpack that. And then if you were to do an exercise like this, you might say, oh, it's not that, it's not that generally I don't feel great about my relationships. It's that these one or two, three things about relationships or about an interaction with someone or, or about a holiday came up and I didn't have anyone in me, of meaning in my life to spend time with these two or three things triggered this series of events that led to me overeating, over exercising, drinking too much or whatever. And, th and that's the first step always figuring out what the chain reaction was. And then once you know it, you can't unknow it. You don't just forget that that's exactly what's happening in your life. And now you have opportunities for improvement, for skill building, for practices. And then if it's not something you can untangle yourself, that's where you get help, right? That's where you get coaching and counseling. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it, it comes back to that, that self-awareness that you mentioned earlier and just in this different context. And Yeah. And, and you know, the one thing that I, I want to make clear is that I never want to be finger waggy about know yourself. Pay attention to your life. We might have even talked about this last time we chatted because that doesn't help anyone to be like, oh, you need to be mindful right. shaking my finger and telling you how to be. What actually helps you do any of that in the first place is a series of practices, things you can do each day that lead to mindfulness. And uh, we can't skip over that because just like learning the guitar, like you talked about earlier, uh, or going back for tutoring, all those processes have a known set of things that you practice. Math is pretty straightforward, right? If you're not good at certain types of math, you start pretty remedial and you build up skills over time by practicing stuff until you can do the more complicated math. It's the same here. You don't just go like, oh, I really need to be paying attention to my life. You say, oh, there's actually skills I need here that I don't have. And there's something I need to do every single day, even if it's small, to practice that skill. Like 
practicing my chords or my my note progressions on a particular instrument, you know? Yeah. Have you ever heard of uh, the skills challenge ratio by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi? No, I, I, I actually don't know that. Tell me about it. Uh, it's this idea. It, it was profound when I learned it. It's this guy. He's, he's the guy who, I guess, started the whole, he's a, a research psychologist, started the whole inquiry into flow states. And he has yep. this perfect chart that's like, whenever things are too hard, that means you need to go get some skills. Whenever you have anxiety right. and stress, that means that you're, you're, you don't have the skills to, to tackle the obstacles that you currently have in whatever context and whatever area of your life. And if you're too bored, that means you don't have enough challenge. So right. it's this perfect, simple little thing to say, okay, am I bored here? Well, I don't have enough challenge. Am I being stressed out, crazy here, too anxious? Okay, I need to get some skills. And that, that kind of helped me get perspective and, and take away the emotional stuff uh, to where I was feeling guilty or beating myself up about, you know, not, not being perfect or not being able to solve the issue on my own. Absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. And I, I just, I want to highlight that for everyone listening, you know, it, it's so, so crucial because this is a thing, right? Like sometimes we have to name things and give them a chart, you know, to really uh, <laughs> sure. understand that it's, it's a thing. It describes human nature. It's not because you're messed up right? It's because this is how people are. And that's totally, they're two totally different things. Being messed up is, you know, you're in this alone, you're broken, shame on you. Uh, If this is just, this is how people are, then yes, that feeling you're feeling is a skill deficit, not anxiety that needs to be blunted or made to go away. You actually go get, you actually remove it with a very known system, (laughs) build skills, you know? And Blunting it actually just is a decrement to your quality of life. Building the skills will be an enhancement. So it's a choice you have then, you know, and I, I love that. That's great. Yeah. I should mention too, the, the middle part was the flow zone. And for That's anyone right, yeah. in that feeling like, oh, wow, like I just feel in the zone with everything that I'm doing and uh, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time, that's because you have that perfect balance bef- between the level of skill you have and the level of challenge you have in that area. So that's what minute, I'm striving right? for. For a minute until it goes away, right? Yeah. That's the whole thing with flow state. You only get a few moments of that in your life, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. Uh, Stephen Kotler, who wrote the book, uh, The Rise of Superman, you know, talks about like certain things to get more of it in your life, but you're, you're right, man. Most of us, we, we don't, you know, do you get a lot of flow states? I feel like when I do an interview, like, I feel like I'm in a flow, I'm a little flowy with you right now, John. It's one of those things <laughs> yeah. that I do well, that helps. What about you? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I find moments and periods of time. And I, I think one of my struggles, and I know others maybe do too, is that when the flow states go away, it's a little bit disappointing, right? Yeah. And 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 because you're like, oh, I need to work harder to hold on to the flow state, and that's actually like very counter the whole process, right? Because they they are temporary states where what you talked about, like this confluence of your personal skill, some sort of meaning, and challenge, all coexist for a brief moment, and. That moment might be an hour or three or maybe a whole day or 
maybe a whole week for some people, but probably most of your life is not spent in a flow state, even if you're lucky enough to get hours of it or days of it, you know? So true. And so, you know, it's, it's dealing with the come down and, and, you know, I have had so many great coaches in my life and, and one used to just talk about it as like with the mountain range analogy, right? Like to get to the peak of any mountain, whether it's financial success or relationship or whatever it might be and actually climbing a mountain, the next step is always to get back down into the valley, right? Right. And most of our life is lived in valleys, not on mountain peaks. And how do we be okay with that? You know, that's a lifelong practice. And that's like, full circle the beginning of the conversation when we realize that that's true we make that okay uh, because every single day it's going to be hard when we're in a valley no matter how good we are at recognizing this truth you still wake up and you're in a valley and you have to practice with that being okay you know i love the way you wrap that up and and john um before we started recording i talked to you about using some new recording software so we can do this on Facebook Live next time, a YouTube Live. And that's because all as much as I enjoy these interviews, I used to get a big rush out of doing them because they were so challenging and, and I still do all my prep and all my research ahead of time, but now they're not so challenging and I want to feel a little scared and uncomfortable again. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's great. And, and, it, it is. It's a different challenge being on camera the whole time than just speaking. You know, I was just in recording studio in Toronto uh, this week doing some animated videos. PN's playing around with doing love these, like, their, your videos. videos. They're so amazing. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm doing the voiceover there and it's it, that was that's been a new challenge for me, especially when I've done video recordings for most of my career. And But they're a different animal for sure. Right. You're there's a different sort of preparedness you have to have. So that's that's going to be cool. I look forward to doing it and, and watching you level up your skill set there too, right? To to do this thing where we're you're interviewing, but you're live on camera and you got to not pick your nose while you're doing it or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I had a couple burps come up. I was like, man, if what do I do if like that happens? Because <laughs> I just slammed some noodles and some stir-fried chicken and, and noodles, buckwheat noodles before we hopped on. But yeah, all comes down to that prep. And I'm really looking forward to doing that next time because we didn't talk at all about your genetics ebook, which is what I wanted to talk about. But I feel like what we did today is a better service to everyone listening than talking about something that's really sexy, cool, and kind of the shiny object in the room. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm always game for however a conversation goes when I do interviews and podcasts. You know, if we if we talk about the thing we pre-established, great. If we talk about something else because we're flowing and just getting into interesting zones, we both feel passionate about, oh, what the hell? Why not do that? Right? Right. John, I'll have the link to everything on the show notes. Awesome. Sounds great. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Ted's Takeaways. This is where I break down the most important lessons from the interview we just listened to. And I know that was a bit of a long one. And uh, I got to say, what an amazing guy John Berardi is. He came here and we were going to talk about nutrigenomics. And it turned out to be a much deeper, more important conversation. And I only have one takeaway for you. And that is what are you using health and fitness for? And if it's 
to complement or supplement your already awesome life. And you're using it to get ahead in life. And it, you're not using it as escapism, then that's awesome. But if you're a person who to deal with your life and I'm like stopping myself as I say this because health and fitness is something we all use to kind of deal with the craziness of modern life. But what I'm talking about is when it's something that you're using as your comfort zone and you're running away from the problems or not dealing with and facing the deeper problems that you're facing in your life, that's when it's an issue and that's when you need to step up, be strong and face those those things, whatever obstacles you're facing in your life, you need to face them head on. So think about that for a second and think about how you're using health and fitness and whether you're using it in the right way or you're using it as self-medication, just like people who eat too much or who drink too much, people who gym too much, sometimes we're using it for the wrong reasons. So keep that in mind. Last thing I want to say is that sharing is caring. If you appreciated this episode, and I hope you did, please share it on wherever you hang out on social, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever it is, Snapchat. Personally, I do the Facebook and the Instagram, not really down with the Snapchat, haven't really caught on to it, and not sure I will because it seems like more more difficult to use than some of the others, but please give it a share. It's the highest compliment that you can pay to me and also helps the show grow and helps other people get this this amazing life-changing content. And last thing, if you're new to the show, make sure you click subscribe on wherever you download this show, whether it's in the iTunes store, on your iPhone, your Mac, or in the Google Play store on Android. So do that and you'll be sure to get every single episode as soon as it's released. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you'd like to find any of the resources, as always, you can go to legendarylifepodcast.com and find them all there. Have an amazing week and I'll speak to you soon.